you're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Heidi. She's got a fucked up story about Columbine. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be Positively Terrible. Hey, Scott. Hey, Dan. How are you? Man, I'm doing pretty good today. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm feeling good. Always feeling good when we're, we're here recording. Um, we're about to hit the holidays. We're, we're, we're a few days away from Christmas. This is going to air after, well after Christmas. But, uh, Dan, happy holidays. Hey, thanks. Happy holidays to you. And um, I did something today I haven't done in a long time. Oh, what's that? Right before we got on the microphones tonight, okay, I had a Whopper. I haven't had a Whopper in a real long time. I, I, I'm going to admit something that I really like Whoppers. Do you get cheese on it? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, okay. The original chicken sandwich at Burger King's pretty good too. We're not getting paid for this, so 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 just but, just know but we'll take some of that big Whopper money if, uh, th- th- if they want to is- sponsor the show. This is my genuine reaction. I hear Burger King, and I I, I will admit that I've had a, a Whopper recently too. So we're we're Whopper buddies today. Um, Heidi, welcome. How do you feel about Burger King? I mean, honestly, I love their Impossible Whopper. I feel like it's really just like a Whopper. It's so good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm glad you, you're not shaming us for eating the, the occasional fast food. Okay. Waffles are amazing. Hundred <laughs> percent. All right. I, I haven't gone down the path of the impossible meats yet. Uh, or meat is that the right word? I don't know what the right word is. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think that's super important. Maybe we'll educate people. You can educate us later on. Uh, but Heidi, what are, what are you here to talk about today? Yeah, so I'm here to talk about my experience in the library at Columbine, um, the Columbine shooting 20 years ago, actually, a long time ago. Yeah, it feels like yesterday. Uh, it does. Man, that is a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we things have changed a bit since then. Some some for the better, but Heidi, um, you know, first I, I lead in with this this maybe a little too chipper. What brings you here today when we're going to talk about something that, for a lot of the the country and possibly the world, is kind of this this major event in our lives. Even yeah. those of us who weren't near it to experience it. And I was in college at the time, yeah, and I've talk to people about their experience and people who were in high school at the time or in grade school at the time have had uh, a much different experience than I did. And of course, your experience is something that I'd never wish on anyone. Um, yeah. But I want to talk to you about that a little bit. And Absolutely. what was it like in Littleton and in, in, in Columbine before this happened? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great question. I was a sophomore when it happened, so very very new in high school. And um, like honestly, uh, it was a normal high school, right? Like you go to school, you never anticipate anything bad happening. Um, you know, maybe you get bullied a little bit. Um, and Columbine was a huge it was a huge school. And so I felt like you could very easily just get lost in the mix of the school and, um, did honestly, as a, as a humble, humble sophomore, I was very much so just kind of a, I would say, um, speck on the wall in a lot of ways where, um, was insignificant and, um, yeah, there was nothing in my mind that would have ever, 
ever anticipated something like this happening, truly. Yeah. I think that was a time in this country where nobody would have. Yeah. What do you yeah. remember about that day? Yeah. So, um, you know, that day I had gone to my morning classes, everything started truly as normal and, uh, decided to go to the library during my lunch hour, which, uh, wasn't abnormal for me. Um, I was going through a weird friend transition and kind of preferred solitude in a lot of ways. And so I went to the library. I sat down at a table that faced the mountains. I, I mean, anyone who's not from Colorado, um, can appreciate that we have amazing mountain views and like our school at Columbine just faced all of those. And so it was beautiful to be able to sit in the library and to look out at the, the front range while being able to do, you know, your work. And so I sat down at a table and began working on my homework for that day, uh, trying to get everything done because I was actually transferring to a different school and had cheerleading tryouts at that school. So I'm like, I absolutely need to get all of my homework done now because I have to make it to cheerleading tryouts for the next day. And uh, so I sat down at the table, a couple minutes in, uh, just started hearing loud bangs started going off. And it was around the end of the year, uh, there was a big anticipation for uh, the senior class playing a prank on the entire school, which they were no, known to do, um, to play a prank. And they, they would do it in epic proportions. And so I thought that that's what was happening, is that I was in the midst of a senior prank and honestly kind of brushed it off. Uh, there was just this perpetual banging sound uh, that was coming through. So uh, I thought senior prank, then I kind of started thinking maybe construction never registered. It was a gun going off and um, didn't like register with me at all. And uh, it couple moments passed by and uh I'm still sitting at my table and a teacher comes running into the room and she was, I just remember incredibly pale. And she just was saying, um, a kid has been shot. A kid has been shot. Everybody get under your tables. And so I got under my table um, and just, uh, there was about six chairs around my table. And I remember pulling every single chair as close to my body as I possibly could still not really anticipating what was happening, like still thinking that this is not real, like that the reality of it had not hit me yet. And so uh, I was just hovered underneath my table uh, and these pipe bombs start going off and it basically unleashes all of the smoke into the library uh, where there is just fire alarms going off because of the smoke. There's just a haze that it creates in the entire space. And I remember because of where I was positioned in the library, I look over to my right and through literally the smoke, and this sounds cinematic, but it's true, is I look over to the right and I see these black figures enter the library, these almost shadow-like figures enter the library um, and I see on them like artillery strapped on their shoulders and AK-47s or uh, rifles in their hands. And they basically say to everybody, get ready to die is what they say. And they essentially just start shooting throughout the entire library. And I hear um, shot after shot being fired. Um children or not children, but teenagers screaming, like, just, I can't believe that you shot him. Um, why did you do that? Uh, they come over to my area and I literally see, uh, there was like computer cubbies in front of me. Uh, they put their gun under the computer cubby and basically just pull the trigger. And I see what was, um, essentially a a person who was under this computer cub 
cubby become almost limp and it was really, really hard to see. Um, they start shooting around me. Um, and I just keep bracing truly for impact and thinking I'm next. This is my last moment on earth. And what happens essentially in that moment is you, it's almost like a flip book of your life. And you just see the pictures of the people and the things that you care the most about. And I saw my parents, my sisters, my dogs, um, basically just as a flip book in front of me thinking, am I ever going to see or experience these people again? Um, and I, and looking through the, 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 the spaces of my table in the library and I can see their boots as they stomp past me and I keep thinking I'm next. So like I see their boot, I see the shells of their gun falling to the ground. And I keep thinking I'm next. Um, and basically what happens is they come to what is really in front of my table uh, at the library. They start having a conversation and they say, we're going to blow up the rest of the school. And they're talking with each other and they start talking to us basically. And they say, don't worry, you guys are all going to be dead soon. You're all going to be on fire soon. And they are talking about setting off this bomb underneath us. And uh, they have this conversation for quite a while. And then eventually they leave the library and I, because of where my table is positioned, I'm able to see them leave the library. I like actually physically see them exit. And so after I see them exit, I'm one of the first students that gets up from under their table and uh, notice there's other students that are doing so as well. And one of the students has been shot in the shoulder. Uh, there's blood literally just pouring down her shoulder. And she is in total shock. And uh, we all just start kind of strategizing between us. Like, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we get out of here? Uh, we run towards this hallway uh, where I see there's like this conference room. And I'm like, hey, maybe we can lock ourselves in this conference room. And um, someone else is like, no, no, there's an emergency exit. And so we run towards this emergency exit. Uh, I remember just like pushing against, you know, like the door of the emergency exit. And then um, after I get out, I see a cop car and um, there's these police officers that are just motioning to us, like, come here, come here. And we basically get behind the cop car and um, more and more students start to trickle that way. And, Finally, um, despite feeling so, we are safe and we are able to finally um, get to even a safer place at that time. Wow. I'm, I'm, I've got, <laughs> I've got questions written down. Sure. Yeah. And well, no, I, they don't even feel important right now. I'm, I'm struggling already. Um, All right. I, I I got, I got, I got some questions. Well, I still have them, but <laughs> okay. But go ahead, Dan. So, I mean, one, thank you for sharing all this. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, hell of an experience up to this point. And I want to know what happens next that day. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're behind yeah. the cop car, then you get to a slightly safer place. Um, I mean, the whole country yeah. is watching this. What happened to you and what did it feel like for the next several hours? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So uh, we're behind this cop car and I am seeing my fellow students like 
one student has been shot. I don't know how many times in the leg and is just crying out in pain. And I hear another student who was like quizzing him on sociology because they're just trying to keep his mind off of the fact that he has all these gunshots in his leg. So I remember that very vividly. Um, eventually another cop car comes to where we're at and they're like, get in. And we're like, okay. So me and a bunch of other students pile into this other cop car that drives fucking crazy to this other neighborhood. Like we're just like, okay, like we're in for the ride. We end up in this cul-de-sac and, um, and basically we just kind of camp there and there's all these wounded students, news crews start showing up, ambulances start showing up. It just becomes this epicenter of, uh, activity in a lot of ways. And so, um, I'm there with other students. We kind of gather and try and comfort each other. And I essentially end up at this house that I loosely knew, uh, the girls, uh, the girl and her family takes care of me. And I call, I call my mom and I'm going to get emotional because I call my mom and I said, hi mom. And she said, Heidi, like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm okay. And she's like, did you see people die? And I said, yeah. And I call my dad and similar conversation. And my dad says to me, um, I'm coming to get you. And what I think um, a lot of people don't understand and that in the chaos of these moments is that um, everything just like, it's like, so you have this major event, the shooting that happens, but then there's all of these ripple effects that result in uh, it just being true chaos and trying to figure out what happens next. And so essentially I'm at this house that I really don't know these people and I'm watching the news and watching what unfolds. Um, we had, people showing up at Columbine that were wanting to cause stuff. Like it was just chaos. It really was chaos. And uh, so I'm waiting at this house. I mean, they were super sweet. They give me juice. They're like, how can we take care of you? I'm just watching the news truly like in trauma, waiting for my, my family to show up. It wasn't until five o'clock that night that I finally hear a knock on the door and it was my dad and he shows up and he's finally there to get me and go home. And I found out that in that my dad had to like truly go through police barricades. He ran red lights. He was doing whatever it took. I think that there was somebody that was in that, that neighborhood where I was that he, he like crossed a police line, got their car, drove to where I was at to get to where I was to, to see me. And, um, it wasn't like I said until like, so the shooting happened at like 11 o'clock. He got to me around 5 PM. And so it was a long wait. Um, and I mean, truly when you've gone through something as traumatic and as life threatening as that was to wait till you can see your family was just really, really hard. But, um, the fact that my dad got to me was, uh, amazing <laughs> at the end of the day. So. <laughs> well, well, shout out to dad. And yes, shout out to dad. <laughs> <laughs> One of the questions that I I always think whenever there is kind of a large event and far too often in this country, it is a mass shooting Yeah, is the responsibility, the duty of the media. And mm. I'm very interested in your take because 
The chaos that you described, there's a lot of information that has not been confirmed. There's speculation. You know, I think back to 9-11 and it was like, how many planes are in the sky still? Yeah. How many are they going to hit the, the, the Capitol, the, the White House? And all of this information makes it into the media. Hmm. And there is a duty to provide news, in my opinion. Yeah. But at what point is it doing harm? Hmm. Do you have an opinion on that? Well, that's a really profound question. I mean, in the aftermath of the shooting, we, Littleton, Colorado, like little Littleton, Colorado became the hub of the entire world. And we had every major news outlet present in our little tiny city. And I remember going out the day after the shooting and I I was interviewed by Dateline. Um, sorry, I shouldn't maybe name names, but no, I was interviewed by, point. okay. Um, and I, I just remember the sensitivity of the moment being gone. And so I, I completely understand the fact that we need to tell this story. It's important. It's important for a nation, but we cannot lose humanity in that moment. We cannot lose the fact that people are suffering in that moment. And that to me was lost in some of the journalists that were there and the way that they particularly treated me, who was um, a survivor. And I, I remember vividly where uh I was giving an interview about what I had gone through and the trauma that I had experienced. And I was with my youth pastor at the time, and he was telling me that it was time for me to go, I think really trying to protect me. And I said, okay, I have to get going. And she said, you need to answer the question, like basically just negating my trauma in that moment. And so I think um, what I have seen, um, not from all, but from several journalists, especially in the aftermath of these traumatic events, is that it becomes almost like a utilitarian, um, like zero, like we need to get the story. That is what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the story. And I remember them filling in blanks of my story. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. And I think that as long as you keep the humanity, the humanity of the moment, um, you can tell that story, but you can't lose yeah. that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I want to disagree with something you said a little earlier when you said children and then said, well, not children, but teenagers. Yeah, it is children. You, you were a child. You, you yeah, were a child. 100%. Yeah, and yeah. You didn't have disagreement. <laughs> You're, you're, you're being asked about it from a kid's perspective Yeah. without the ability to process. And and I don't know what processing that looks like. Right. Like, right. But you haven't even had that opportunity and you're being asked questions and not being treated as delicately as it sounds. Cause you're right. You can tell a story and still save that humanity. Mm-hmm. It's a really While good to me, what, what I'll even say is talking to you today, like I said, you know, to start, I'm like, I'm, I'm struggling already. And mm-hmm. for someone who is in, in Illinois and completely lacking those beautiful mountain views, um, you know, <laughs> a lot of corn, a, a lot of corn, but <laughs> as someone who has lived 40 plus years now in Illinois, it was a tragedy. It was a story. It was a moment. Yeah. But hearing a firsthand account, not just hearing it, but having it told to me mm. is something that it hurts. <laughs> yeah. It hurts. It's 20 plus years later. And I can't help but feel for for you and every other person that was there. And, you know, as I'm thinking about questions that we could ask and 
I, I don't even know how to talk about it sometimes because I think like how many victims and everyone was a victim. Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. fucking person that was there, everybody's family, every, yeah. I mean, what happened to Littleton after that? It sounds like, I mean, everyone converges on this city for a story. Yeah. And then what's next? What, what happened? How did the town change? Yeah. Um, so I think it's such a good question. Uh, I mean, you think about like you mentioned 9-11 and just how that completely changed our country. Columbine was the same way. I, it was something that just changed the consciousness of our country. Like what is capable of humanity became real at Columbine and then continued to become real as we see these things continue to happen. And so uh, in Littleton, I would say that there was a sense of initial camaraderie where we all came together and there was a huge sense of community. And then it just sadly saying, which I feel like happens in a lot of these cases went back to business as usual where people, and I, and it's like, I don't honestly don't know what to have expected differently, but it's like everybody just kind of got back on with their lives as best as they could. However, I know for me personally, for other like survivors who are really at the epicenter is it wasn't as easy for us to just get back to business as usual. Um, that well, maybe some other people were able to. And I think that that was a coping strategy for the town is let's just move forward. Uh, you know, that that wasn't always the case for all of us. I will say that. Um, it did become a little bit of a, um, I'm trying like a memorial, like a memorial, but also like a, uh, I'm trying to think of the word where it becomes a place that people want to see, to believe almost. And so we would have a lot of people come to Columbine or come to the, the town almost just wanting to see see it <laughs> in a, like a in kind of, tourist trap a little bit like in it's like they we have a memorial and so people would take pictures at the memorial they would maybe lay flowers at the school they'd want to see the school it became like almost like a pop culturally like type of thing where people would want to witness it firsthand because it was like uh such i think a unbelievable event and so if people can see it maybe that would bring some reality to it um i don't know but that was something that we faced for truly a long time where i would see by columbine flowers posters that type of thing um you know post columbine immediately post columbine next uh the park right next to it would was literally covered in like posters, flowers, teddy bears, everything. Um, it was just a heap of um, memorandum to what had happened. So, uh, you know, that was an interesting thing to see for sure. Yeah. And I will say on a lighter note that I drive by the Home Alone house north of Chicago every uh, every once in a while uh, to take a look and gawk at that. Um, so, same thing, Scott. Same thing. It, 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 and it's pretty fucking boring to go look at a place is kind of the relation that I had. And man, I wanted to lighten the mood just a little bit. Um, one day I'll tell he you was left it. alone. It was also traumatic. So traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one day I'll tell the story about how I was in the auditorium as an extra at Home Alone 2. Uh, oh. We never got on. the. We never actually made it into the film, though. But I was sure because my hair looked so good that day. Uh, it was probably the last time my hair looked good uh, that I was going to be in, in the movie. I was like, they can't. Come on. I'm I'm I am looking good today. So, uh, so sorry. <laughs> so, so, sorry about that. So, um, 
I do want to back up and ask a question about your your family, your parents. Yeah. Have you ever asked them like how they found out? Like what what was the moment like for them? Have they told you? Yeah. Um and all of that's super interesting and relevant to my story. Um, my dad actually um, was in remission from um, Hodgkin's lymphoma during the shooting. And then two years after the shooting ended up passing away. And so um, his role in that point of my story is incredibly profound and significant for me. Uh, from their perspective, what I know is that they were witnessing all of this unfold on the news and, um, you know, hearing about that there was this mass shooting, having very little details, which I'm sure like even today we can relate to where we're not sure, you know, what exactly has happened until several hours after the event. And they're wondering truly if I'm still alive and they're being told that the, um, most of the violence is taking place in the library and they knew my routine and knew that that might be a place that I would go. And so they were incredibly worried about me. Um, from my dad's perspective and he and I post Columbine traveled and spoke and shared our story in a lot of different forums, but he would talk about how important it was for him as a dad to get to me, that he seeing and understanding the trauma that his daughter, knowing that she had just survived all of this, um, wanted nothing more than just to get to me and that he was willing to break any law, truly um, break through any police barricade, didn't matter, um, run any red light, and just get to me. Um, and I remember when he would speak and again, I'll get emotional. Um, but he said that when I saw you, Heidi, it was a reunion beyond words. Because I didn't think I'd ever see oh, you did. again. <laughs> Well, thank you for, for, for sharing everything and we're not done, but it's incredibly hard. And I'm trying to figure out if you're extremely lucky or extremely unlucky. And the reason <laughs> I say that is because a right? lot of what I'm hearing, I hear you said that it was during your lunch period. And from what I understand in some reading is that the cafeteria and the library were like two very yeah. Important parts yeah. of this plot. And yeah. then you said that you're transferring schools. Yeah. It's like you're so close to, to getting away from this, but also so close to being in the middle of it. Right. I know. <laughs> but you fucking lived. Yeah. Yes, I did. But on the other hand, I never want to see anything like that either. And then to have your dad willing to move mountains it sounds like to get to you i i, I just <laughs> are there words for this i mean when i say are you lucky or unlucky how do you feel i mean i feel incredibly lucky and i've been able to live such a full life has it been tinged by this trauma a hundred percent but is, is, is tinged the right word <laughs> yeah right like i, I would have gone with something stronger yeah well give me a better adjective for that like <laughs> i can't come up with one i can't <laughs> it's a fucked up story I, I'm yes exactly <laughs> um i i don't know i feel though i feel incredibly grateful like i have truly like such a rich life. I have an amazing son who I've been able to adopt and bring into my life and who just is truly the entire world to me. I've been able to 
do what I would say is very meaningful work that I feel like makes the world better. I also, and this is, I mean, this is maybe one of my mantras is there is so much fucking trauma in the world. And there are so many people that experience things that are beyond what I experienced. And they need people like me who are going to have some sort of compassion and ability to resonate with what they've gone through. And apart from people like me, I don't know that they'll have that. Like, unless you go through something that is at this trauma level, like truly as much as it fucking sucks, I, I know what it's like at some small level to experience what life is like in maybe a war zone or maybe like, I mean, and I'm not comparing that at all because I feel like my experience is much less than that. But like I have some sort of semblance of what that looks like. And so I can bring some kind of maybe help in that situation or compassion in that situation. Um, you know, there are many people that have experienced traumas way, way worse or more chronic than what I experienced that I feel like the world needs people like me to be able to have this experience and have compassion for what it feels like to have to go through the aftermath of that and then want to see like my hope, especially like here in the U S where we continue to see so many shootings take place and I, I know, I know what it's like to be a survivor. I know what it's like to have to pick up the pieces after that. The world needs pieces like people like me that can help people like them that have gone through that, if that makes sense. Well, it makes a ton of sense and is more or less the definition of a decent fucking human. Um <laughs> You know, when when we started this, when Dan read the intro, you may have noticed, he said, when Scott, his wife's fiance and her boyfriend walked into a bar, mm-hmm. I discovered my wife's secret lives. She oh. was she was abusive. She gaslit me. There's a lot to it. And within days, someone who I knew shared their experience with me after I shared my experience with them and finding someone else who been, went through something yeah. that I thought that I, in the moment you feel like you're the only person in the world. Yeah. And yeah. we've had other guests who talk about their experiences and like the experience pre-internet when one of our guests had cancer at 18 and there was no internet like there is today and couldn't find people like him you feel extremely alone. Yeah. And just, I'm so happy that you're able to do this and doing this show is an extraordinarily fulfilling thing for me. Mm. And I can only imagine we, 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 we can only do a fraction of what someone who's been through something that like that can do. And and I do want to ask a question about that. The way I said that, it's 20 plus years later. Yeah. And I'm saying things like, oh, someone who's been through that. Do you ever feel, I mean, how does that make you feel that when people hear you say, I was at Columbine, I went, lived in Littleton, that there's a reaction, even if they don't say anything, you know that there's a reaction inside them. How does that make you feel? I mean, in a lot of ways, I understand. We were, as I mentioned before, I feel like Columbine, similar to 9-11, truly changed this country. And so for people to have that in their minds makes sense to me. Um, it breaks my heart. Like I, I wish that this would have been a blip on our nation's history that we would have truly learned from it and moved forward and had, uh, made the necessary changes. I mean, like if we compare our, 
if we compare Columbine to 9-11, um, nothing like 9-11 has happened on American soil since. Things like Columbine are happening in increasing frequency. Yeah. And, and a lot nation- of times they cite Columbine, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like we are a case study that nobody seems to learn the lesson from. And that is incredibly frustrating for me. I would have loved for this to have been, a, you know, something that happened and then never happened again. But it is re-traumatizing for me, let alone how hard. I mean, like it is horrific. It is absolutely horrific whenever a shooting takes place, but it is re-traumatizing for all of us victims whenever something similar happens in this country. And it is happening with way too much frequency now. And so I just, I look at that and I just say like, why is it that we cannot figure this out? We are an incredibly smart country. We are the, we are the richest country in the world. We have the most resources in the world why can't we figure this out? Like what is wrong with the U S that we cannot figure out how to stop mass shootings when it is not happening in any other place in the developed world where they have the same mental health problems that we have. What is, what is it about us that we continue to experience this? Yeah. And, and Heidi, I'm going to come back to that in, in just yeah. a second, because I think that's an extraordinarily important topic that I'm sure you've got views on. Yeah. Um, but when it does bit. happen, <laughs> when it does happen, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to say, say this, it's, it's going to, it might sound like I'm making light of it a little bit, yeah. but it, it's a sincere question. Like when this happens, yeah, is there, and this is the part that's going to sound like I'm making light. Like, is there like a phone tree at this point? Do you, are there people from your life who experienced this with you and people who you've maybe met in the years since who have mm-hmm. been through similar things that it's mm-hmm. like, Oh shit, Heidi's calling. This isn't good. I mean, <laughs> is is there this coming together every time? Is there, is, is there the, 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 the community coming together every time this happens? Yeah. I mean, I will say that when a shooting happens, I have certain people in my life that always check up on me and I, I appreciate it beyond words when they say, how are you doing? Because they know that trauma knows no timeline. And that just because it's been 20 years that like, Oh, all of a sudden you should be healed and fine. That no, there's still triggers and there's still things that are, are difficult. I will say that I am also um, still good friends with people who were present at the shooting. And it is a bond that we share that is not like other bonds. Like you just kind of get it with each other um, in a very sad, but also hopeful way, if that makes sense. Uh, So there's both sides to that for sure. Okay. Um, what, I mean, I, I, I guess I was going to make an assumption, but I, I, I won't, uh, I, I will just ask the question. So have you spent time like researching, understanding the response, understanding different strategies there could be to prevent this? I have in, in a way, I mean, not in a very, I would say academic way. My work has focused mainly on global humanitarian work, but, uh, from what I have done, (laughs) I have worked with some key groups. I don't know if I can name them here, but they are big in the, is that okay? Um, like every town, every town for gun safety. Um, I've done a little bit of work with moms to me in action. Um, I actually went, um, to the Capitol and worked with a, um, really interfaith, uh, I would say bipartisan group that we basically looked for, um, common sense gun solutions, uh, basically just demanding action in some level because I feel like our nation is so incredibly 
frozen as it relates to anything that is tied to anything tied to gun legislation whatsoever, um, even if it is bipartisan, even if it, it does have um, both sides of the aisle saying um, we rubber stamp this. Um, there's just such a trepidation as it relates to our Second Amendment rights. And so um, there have been some work that I've done on that. But I would say as far as like a deep dive research place, I haven't done a huge deep dive on that. So Okay. But you're, you probably have more knowledge than the average human being. Um, Maybe. <laughs> and well, one of the things that I wanted to ask, and, you know, we, we do avoid politics as, as much sure. as we can on here. I, I believe that there are things that shaped your worldview though. And we're, we're happy to hear what you have to say about them. But and one of the probably questions, agree pretty strongly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I will, but, but I do want to ask about one of the things that I've started hearing of late. Um, and maybe it's been said for the last 20 plus years, but after a school shooting or any mass shooting that gets national attention, I start hearing people say, well, don't pol politicize this. Yes. And to me, again, I, I don't like to get into the politics on the podcast, but to me, this is inherently political. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, I do want to know, like, what, what are your opinions of some things that we maybe should try or could do? Yeah. And I mean, again, I am absolutely no expert and don't have mm -hmm. um, the research behind me for this. But I will say from my limited studies, I, if you look at the rest of the developed world um, and countries that are similar to the United States, people will try and call out mental health as maybe being the issue for the reason why we have increased shootings. And we are not unlike any other country that is within our peer group um, for that. Uh, I think that what the United States, truthfully speaking, has that is unique is our absolute love affair with guns and the easy access that we have to firearms and how if somebody has a moment of crisis can very easily carry out a horrific act. And that may be a mass shooting. Oftentimes it's a domestic violence act. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a suicide. Um, the chances of a suicide being successful with a firearm are so much higher than with any other method. Uh, so I just feel like there is something to be said about the fact that the United States, speaking very, very honestly here, mm -hmm. has more guns than it has people. Like that is something that I think we need to critically look at as a country and assess why is it that we have more mass shootings um, than any other country in our peer group. Um, and that to me is the outlier, is the fact that we have such an incredible love affair with guns. Yeah. Um, not to say that people shouldn't own guns, not to say that you know we want to take all of that away, but I do think that there is something to be said and analyzed about that. And I think that it has, because of the Second Amendment, gained so much protection that it has basically been this issue that nobody is able to really even address or look at because of that. Well, well, sure. And the Second Amendment can still be protected, in my opinion, with some yes. common sense. Yes. And 100%. I'm also going to say, and possibly get a little mad, so I'm not going to dwell on this part, Love but <laughs> when people say mental health, yeah, what the fuck are we doing about people's mental health? Yeah. Even if that's not the reason, even if that's not the yeah. problem, I literally 
I believe it was, well, you know what? I'm not going to name states or whatever, but some high-level politicians after a mass shooting, I believe it was at a school, came out and said it was, you know, we need more mental health resources. Yes. And these same politicians voted against mental health funding several months earlier. Yeah. So instead of doing nothing, let's just fucking do something. Let's yes, do let's something. fucking do something. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> God, let's, let's put that on a t-shirt, Dan. Let's fucking yes. do something. I'm Love it. Right <laughs> I, I think Nike already says just do it, but just let's <laughs> fucking do something. Um, I, I do have a, a question about the shooters and I don't want you yeah. to get in their head and I'd prefer yeah. not to say their name. Their name has been yeah. uh, publicized yeah. enough over the years. Um, do you think, I, I, I know there's conspiracy theories and there's other theories that are not conspiracy theories, but just sure. people trying to explain what happened. Yeah. Do you think that's, do you think it's helpful or productive to try to get into their minds or is this mm -hmm. problem so big that the why in their heads doesn't matter? I know I didn't end that like a question, but that was the end of my question. <laughs> <laughs> so really, like, it's such a profound question uh, because I, like you said, not without trying to get into their heads um, and figure out why these things happen. Um, yeah, I don't, I can say 20 years out this is me speaking personally. Sure. I have compassion for where they were at. I don't, they, I mean, this is just me again, speaking personally. And I, I feel like there is a tendency to demonize people who commit these acts, which I get, I mean, they're horrific, horrific acts that destroy lives and create waves and waves of trauma. However, I, um, I don't know what it takes for a soul to reach a point where they would get so incredibly desperate or be so incredibly callous to just carry out an act like this. And I don't know if it was a cry for help. I don't know if they had reached out and never found what they were looking for. And I personally, for my own humanity's sake, would like to believe that about them, um, would like to believe that that's what they were trying to do. But I, again, like, I mean, people are going to call whomever commits these atrocities monsters. They're going to look at them as other human. And it's a way of just us saying that this could never, ever be us and never, ever be someone that is maybe related to us that would ever commit something like this. And I think that we need to see that there is a point in humanity that maybe would be a breaking point to lead to something like this. And that we need to look at what we can do to make sure that that doesn't happen. If that makes sense. It makes a ton of sense and was literally a question that I still had left that is there a yeah. compassionate way to, to view the incident. And mm. I will tell you that uh, I was going to say a small personal tragedy in my family, mm. which isn't small, just smaller than a mass shooting that changed the country in history. Sure. But my cousin murdered my aunt. Wow. And I think that even my parents have a different view of this than I do. And I don't blame them. Like this is my dad's sister, right? Yes. But he didn't just destroy his mom's life, his dad's life, his yeah. brother's life. Yeah. He destroyed his. Mm -hmm. And some of that, I believe there were drugs involved. Some of that yeah. was mistakes made that came from a very dark place. And 10, 20, 30 years from now, when he's still in prison and 
hopefully not the same person that he was the day that that happened, his life is still just altered in a way that he could never change. Yeah. Yeah. And I do have compassion toward him. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I, I don't really know him. They, they didn't live in state, but life is complicated, man. Yeah. And the darkness that people feel in those moments, I feel like that's something that, I mean, we've all experienced those dark moments. And I, I, I will say this, access to firearms in dark moments is not a great combination. I think that studies prove that um, in so many ways, as far as, we, we as the human experience know that we're all going to go through dark times. That is part of being human. We're all going to have moments where it is incredibly desolate. And if we have access to something that is able to hurt ourselves or hurt somebody else, that can amplify itself in ways that, um, we see, I think, on a regular basis in the news. So um, I think that that's something that we as a country need to kind of come to grips with. Yeah, we all have things that we've done in our weakest moments. Yeah, absolutely. And combine a lot of other factors. Yes. And it can be a lot worse. And it, yes. and it, and it is for places like Columbine. And yeah. I'm just, I'm Heidi. I'm incredibly impressed. I really am. Uh, I do want to know what just walked behind you. Is is that oh, the, that is that the child? That you, yeah, oh, he had to that? get some water at nine fifteen p.m. Apparently, <laughs> it's sometimes that's important. Sometimes yeah. it's very important. Was was there a uh, was there a hat on? What was going on? I no, saw something he, green. He, yeah, he wears he wears that to bed to help his hair in the morning. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. how old how old is he? He's ten. Does he know anything about this? I've told him a little bit about it. Um, it's it's part of who I am, um, and in all honesty, so I, um, me and my ex husband, we adopted him from Congo and he has some trauma without me getting into any details okay. about it, but he has some trauma in his past and me um, going through what I went through as I talk about being able to resonate and understand trauma. Um, I feel like I was able to show up for him in ways that I was, I would not have been able to had I not gone through Columbine. Um, because of the trauma that I experienced and I was able to walk him through things that I don't think I would have been able to, had I not gone through what I went through. Um, and I can say, and I'm so incredibly proud, um, that he is from all appearances, from everything else, he is a healthy functioning child, um, despite whatever beginnings he had in life. And I, I'm not saying that's because of me, but I do feel like it's because I had a, a part to play in um, helping him heal through some traumatic things that he experienced. So, well, I said I was incredibly impressed with you, and I'm going to take that back, and then because I'm now more incredibly impressed. <laughs> So if there's what 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 is uh, are there different magnitudes of incredibly uh, more incredibly imp- I I don't know what it is but I I'm certainly I mean Heidi wow if I don't wish anything like this on anyone but it takes a hell of a human being a decent fucking human even to survive to what it sounds to me like thrive after all of this and to turn something so tragic into even just, even just a stable life. Yeah. Sounds like a challenge. And 
not to, to go back to the bad stuff, but as I was reading, the deaths didn't stop that day. Yeah. yeah. And from my understanding that there's been, you know, people who have taken their life. Yeah. Not just yep. students, but family members. Yeah. And I don't, I've got zero judgment. Hmm. Zero. None. Me too. But you're resilient and I, I, I'm just impressed and I'm, I'm so, God damn it. I'm so happy you're here with us today. Thank you. I think that, that you so know, much. the, 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 we, we cover a lot of traumas. I mean, that's what we do. And yeah. it's incredibly important to be vulnerable and to share yeah. and to build a community and, and to help people know that it's going to be okay. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, yeah, we're I, not alone. I'm uncomfortable in with people. <laughs> What's that? I didn't hear that. I said we're not we're not alone. Like I think that that's what's important about telling these stories, and I commend you guys for having the platform for that. Is that it creates spaces to tell people that you're not alone um, going through whatever. I mean, like even if it's a different experience, they're similar. We experience similar emotions, and so. I think the more that we're able to tell our stories in safe places truly makes a difference in, in each other's healing. And it's part of being in community, which I think yeah. in the United States is so easy to be isolated and individualistic and alone, but we need this. We need things like yeah. this. For sure. Dan, you've been quiet. I have been listening, enjoying, and, and yeah, enjoying, enjoying the, the, the conversation. Are, You're a hell some, of a person, Heidi. Sometimes those words are hard when you say enjoying or whatever. Right. Hey, I've really had a great time talking yeah. to you guys about all these tragedies today. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I'm going to point out is that you know, when it happens to us and we we get through them, it's easy to downplay them. And I certainly wouldn't expect to have heard you today Mm. even downplay a moment when you said, I couldn't say that I've been through like someone who's grown up in a war zone. And man, trauma is trauma. There's all types, all sizes. And Decent fucking humans rise to the occasion. And you know what? If you don't, it's not because you're not decent. But I feel like I'm spending a lot of time telling you how great you are. And I think that that's true. <laughs> I feel like I would feel very awkward if someone sat here and did this to me. So, Heidi, is there anything else that you would really like to get out before we uh, wrap up today? I don't think so. No, it's just, uh, again, I, I appreciate the forum to just tell stories. I feel like this is how we heal. And so if anyone can benefit from the trauma that I've experienced and just at the very, very least know they're not alone, then I, it's worth it for me to tell my story. All right. Well, you've been wonderful. I'm humbled and honored and all of those good words that you were willing to come and share, not with just, not just with Dan and I, but with our audience. I think that it's extraordinarily helpful. So Heidi, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much. And, and terrible listeners. Remember to follow us on the socials. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook at positively terrible. If you want to contact us, you can email us at podcast at positively terrible.com. If you want to tell your fucked up story, reach out to us. If you want the decent fucking human tattoo, reach out to us. Don't do it. (laughs) Dan, you all, I lose my rhythm, man. Anyway, thank you for (laughs) listening. And as always, this has been absolutely positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica Fest I confess I was nervous and stressed Because I thought you were the best I was right And that night we got into a water gun fight That I won, I shot you in the 
was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best I was right. Positively Terrible is a part of the Terrible Podcast Network.